Today on Never Was a Gamer. You ever wonder what it would be like to play every game at once? Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is the craving capitalist pig who drives all my labors, Dimitri. (laughs) (laughs) Wario is gross. (laughs) (laughs) He is gross, but I think I might have oversold on the last one because I was shocked how little farting there was in this game. He's got a nasty friend. He does have a nasty friend. Dr. Krygor. (laughs) You're the real Wario. <laughs> and Wario, he, he gets progressively nastier. I just, I, yeah, my memory told me that he was already peak nasty in this one. No, it gets worse. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're talking WarioWare Inc. Mega Micro Games. WarioWare. S in games with a dollar sign <laughs> because it's the early 2000s. And this is the second game that's part of our arc on experimental mechanics. Yes. And simplified, streamlined, not that typical mechanics in games. Yeah. And as I mentioned last time when we talked about Katamari Damashi, we're doing this with, you know, mainstream games, games from the early 2000s in this case that were published by major game publishers. Mm-hmm. So these aren't, these are games that, you know, we look at them now and you think, oh, there, there's like some of the indie mindset. But right. These are, you know, these are mainstream games that did something experimental that I remember as being pretty shocking, pretty revolutionary at the time when they came out. This is a weird thing to put alongside, you know, a lot of Nintendo's big releases, um, including like what I know sort of from this era. Like it's not, I feel like Nintendo Nintendo is a company I associate with a high degree of polish, a high degree of like refinement and a desire to really be sort of careful with their their core IPs. And I get that Wario isn't Mario, right? Like I, you know, this kind of makes sense for this, but it still is surprising to me to see a Nintendo game that is this, um, I want to say scrappy, but that's not the right term because it's a Nintendo game. But like, yeah, yeah, this is actually something I want to get into as we talk about WarioWare, because yeah, I think the thing that was most shocking to us at the time when we saw it, and maybe even still to you, is you know the sense of humor, the surprise, like you say, it's scrappiness. It seems to be kind of unexpected tonally mm-hmm. from Nintendo. There is like a, it seems kind of improvisational, right, or like unpolished. But one thing I want to get into is whether that whether or not that's just kind of a veneer, because you know this thing has been play tested within an inch of its life. Yeah, right. Yeah. That if it's that if this is very much you know the the corporate version of unpolished that that actually produce a very polished product that that has the the guise of being like an appropriation of a DIY sort of aesthetic or something. Sure, yeah. And one of the later WarioWare games was a WarioWare DIY where you made your own. There you go. And and that's the thing. You look at the games that you know like average people make and there's your those are your unpolished games. Right. <laughs> Uh, but we're already getting ahead of ourselves. Maybe just set up what this game is. There's been a number of WarioWare games. This is the one that started it all. What is what's the premise of this game? And then what are you doing in this game? Okay. Remember that toy from like the late nineties that the commercials were like, bop it, twist it, pull it, pack yeah, it. Yeah, bop it. Yeah, bop it. This is that the video game. <laughs> 
If you would like more context, I don't know why you would. This is a game in which Wario has seen on TV that there's money to be made in video games, and he decides he's going to make this bunch of really short, tiny, almost like disposable games to cash in on this craze. And so to do that, he brings on a bunch of his friends who he is going to, unbeknownst to them, get to make all these tiny mini games and then piss off with all the money that comes from it. <laughs> so the the bulk of the actual gameplay is playing these little mini games. And for each of his friends you go to, you have to succeed at a certain number of them in succession without failing a certain number in order to like pass their their set and move forward. Yeah. And, and right, these are these are micro games, not mini yeah, games. Three seconds is the length of them. Yeah. They're like three to five seconds. Yeah. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about the implications of that. But these right. These aren't like your Mario Party style right. mini games. Yes. These are just very, very quick bursts that make sense within this kind of quick cash grab narrative yeah. facade that the game is, it's is literally putting us in. set to the length of time it takes your brain to <laughs> cognitively process what you're seeing and do one action in response to it that's yes. basically the amount of time that it is right and that's i think that's the other important thing to bring up here and probably the main reason that we're playing this as part of this arc is that all of these games there's over 200 games and all you're doing is using the d-pad and the a button yep that's it it, they're kind of. It, this is made for the Game Boy Advance, and even for that platform, as mechanically simplistic as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. So when you turned on this game and saw this opening conceit, was this what you were expecting? And is this kind of consistent with the idea you had of Wario? I don't really know. I I don't really know how familiar you are with the Wario character or what you even know about him. And, and aside I've, from that, he's like in Mario Kart. Yeah, Mario Kart and Smash, basically. He, I know he has a motorcycle in Smash. We got to see that in this one. Oh, yeah. So his Smash version is very much the WarioWare yes, Wario. Yes, I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> um, so I didn't know very much about Wario apart from him, you know, Mario Party, Mario Kart. Like, you know, I sort of have an intuitive grasp. He's like uh, Mario in the Upside Down, right? Like he's... Um, <laughs> So I don't know. I knew that this was a very like mini game driven collection. I think I was expecting something a little more Mario Party ish where it's like there's more connective tissue between the mini games. And I certainly did not anticipate how fast they are. Um, I definitely was picturing something more in the like, you know, 15 to 45 hmm. seconds range. I did not expect the weird framing of Wario doing this as a cash grab and this being about game development in a weird way. Um, at least the, the frame sort mm -hmm. of is that was all surprising uh, and kind of a nice surprise. Like it, in a way it was like stranger. And also there was more there than I was expecting. I was expecting a much more like linear, you know, succeed at the mini games, get accumulate something and move not a, along a board, but, you know, something, something, not this. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and this was kind of a radically different Wario. The one thing that's been consistent about Wario as a character since his inception was the money hungriness. Okay. He's always been about collecting as much money as possible. I mean, so is Mario, arguably. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like you said, like Wario is kind of the dark underbelly of Mario. And so if, what if Mario was only cash motivated? You know what? He's like uh, he's like Mario's Tyler Durden. <laughs> he's like, I'm everything you aren't. 
Yeah, and so Wario debuted in Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins in 1992, the, a Game Boy game that was the sequel to Super Mario Land. Mm-hmm. And I remember being so excited for this. because I, I was still really young at this point, and I remember playing this game and being so excited for this new weird villain. Sure. And I even showed you the commercial that I would have seen that introduces Wario to the world. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, you did show it to me. The introduction is very just like, I'm Wario. I'm brainwashing you. Mario's your enemy now with like not I don't know that I was expecting like a, you know an ontological how was Wario created, but like he's he's just sort of there now. But it, it, he's it, also immediately legible, I would say. You're just like, "Oh, it's just the evil Mario." Okay, cool. Yeah, his mustache is a W. Yeah, like what you want. It's an upside down now. That's his whole that's his whole premise. Yeah. And and I mean that's even the pre- the premise of that game. Like the premise of that game is that wh- while Mario was out in Sarasa Land, adventuring in Super Mario Land One, this Wario guy invaded Mario Land mm. and took over his castle. Got it. And uh, yeah, turned the M on the castle into a W. Hate that. And is just kind of squatting there, and then. And then took these six... Wario said squatters, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And then he took these six golden coins to keep Mario out and kind of gave them to his friends around the Mario land. And Mario has to go get the coins. Sure. So he can access the castle and defeat Wario. That's kind of the plot. But but yeah, this ad really makes Wario out to be this like evil Svengali type. Right. Which was interesting. Like he's hypnotizing you and... He's sort of a magician-ish. Yeah, that kind of goes away. Yeah. But Wario's lust for cash does not go away. Uh, so after Super Mario Land 2, which is actually a really good Game Boy game, you might really enjoy it as a, as a platformer. Hmm. I played Super Mario Land 1 on Game Boy, but I don't think I ever did 2. Yeah, 2 is very different, even just visually. Because you know how everything is really tiny in Super Mario Land? Mm-hmm. Everything is nice and big and chunky in Super Mario Land 2. You love a big sprite. I love a big chunky sprite. That is sprite. like your number one And there is thing. no chunkier sprite than Wario. <laughs> when you get to the Wario final boss, boss fight, that's a treat to see... That big chunky boy on your Game Boy screen. On the one hand, fat phobic. On the other hand, accurate and funny. <laughs> Wario became pretty popular from his appearance and people wanted more Wario. And he his plan kind of worked in a roundabout way because Super Mario Land 3 actually starred Wario. Oh, I remember seeing this advertised. Yeah. And so Wario ultimately like usurped Mario he from his own land. game. Yeah. And like got a game series. <laughs> And the first one, I haven't played it since it came out, but I, it's one of those games that I just remember, you know, taking in the car all the time, like mm. loving this game. I think 100% of this game as a kid, oh which would God. have been rare. I, I remember really loving this game. And I and this is a game that establishes Wario as a treasure hunter. The Wario Land series that spun off would have Wario as kind of a treasure hunter and puts him in conflict with this group of pirates. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of competing over gathering treasure. <gasps> we got to have a Wario versus Toad game. Captain Toad versus Wario, Treasure Hunter Rivals. <laughs> that would that would be pretty good. Copyright, copyright, copyright. Um, and the first the first game in the series is is a platformer, but the thing I remember is that it was very heavily focused on exploration, tons of treasures, tons of secrets to find. That's so many words for you that yeah. are talking about finding secrets, exploration, chunky sprites. Talking about this now, I kind of want to go back. <laughs> I might actually go back and play Wario Land. What if it's good still? I think it is still good. I, I would bet it is. The interesting thing about that series is that it, it became increasingly experimental as it went on. So when you had Wario Land 2 come out, it was also a platformer, but the conceit of that game is that Wario can't die. Hmm. So he can get hit by enemies, but often getting hit by enemies 
Well, one could often lose him money and okay. trying to accumulate as much money as possible. For, In a way, a worse fate for a treasure for, hunter. For, yeah, for Wario, for sure. Fate worse than death. Losing two coins. <laughs> uh, but more importantly, getting hit by certain items or certain enemies would transform him and help you solve puzzles. Oh. So let's say there was a big gap on the floor. If you found a thing that would, you know, like that would squish Wario, then he became squished. It could go across the gap. Oh. Or if there are certain blocks that could only be broken by fire, if you find a flame and light Wario on fire, he'd become on fire and then you could go and break the blocks. This is like the origin of Cappy. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> he actually did have um, a lot of unique hats that had powers too in the in the series. It's all there. It was the, all the there Adventures from the start. Hats. But yeah, with Wario Land 2, and I mean, even arguably with, with 1, with the focus on exploration, Wario is really a character that Nintendo would use to do to kind of experiment with mm-hmm. conventional um, mechanics, conventional structure. And I, I mean, you really, I think, see that at its uh, zenith here in, right. in WarioWare. So one thing I don't think I fully understand is how we... Like, it's a pretty big jump from a Mario-ish exploration platformer to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Uh, what? How? How did this happen? Yeah, and, and this was kind of unexpected, I think, for everybody, possibly including for some people at Nintendo <laughs> when this happened. So WarioWare, which came out in 2003, was developed at Nintendo by, by Nintendo R&D 1, which was one of their main development teams, uh, with a team supervised by Yoshio Sakamoto, whose name you might remember yeah. from Super Metroid. I do. Director of Super Metroid and the person who's pretty much been in charge of overseeing the Metroid series ever since. So he oversaw this game, but the origins of this game really go back to the N64. And this is something maybe we can talk about later, but the N64 had this add-on, which at one point was promoted as going to be this kind of revolutionary device. It was called the 64DD, which is a hard drive add-on to the N64. Mm-hmm. You're smirking. No reason to continue. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, it only came out in Japan. And didn't have a ton of games for it. But one thing that it did, or one series of games it did have, was the Mario Artist series, which was kind of the spiritual successor to Mario Paint. Mario Paint, yeah. Yeah. One of the Mario Artists was called Polygon Studio, which was... It sounds like freeware that comes on your like (laughs) laptop now. Sure. That's like, here, you're you're a 3D artist. Well, I mean, and that's what it was. It was a tool to create 3D models and animate them in a, in a game. But importantly, in there, there's also this side game that you could play. And in this game, that's part of Polygon Studio, you'd play very short games that came rapidly one after another. Many of those games look very, very similar to the games that appear in, in WarioWare. And really, that's where the idea from WarioWare came from. The, that, the team who's working on Polygon Studio wanted to do something a bit more with that. And then Goro Abe, who worked as a programmer on WarioWare, but who has then kind of taken over the series uh, since and is kind of the, the lead on the WarioWare series ever since. Uh, he mentioned that he had the idea of using Wario as kind of the mascot for this style of game because he couldn't think of anybody better for the role because he says Wario was always doing stupid things and is really idiotic. So he thought him and the rest of the characters would be, would be best for this game. <laughs> I like that they're they're casting him in like the game dev role, though. They're like... Any idiot can make, can make these things. Like the the thing that is interesting to me about this characterization is like he's not exactly a buffoon in WarioWare. Like he's got a scheme. He makes some games. He you know he's defeated yeah. in the end by his friends who get their money back. But like I I don't know that he comes across as 
stupid or a clown in the in these games. He's kind of a clown. A little bit. I mean, he's a clown with like, like an clown, ounce of programming knowledge. He's like a clown savant. He's okay. All right, you're right. That's that's the <laughs> that's the thing. Uh, but yeah, so this team actually starts making this game in secret. They don't tell the the manager. They don't tell their manager because they're worried that, uh, you know, this game's a little bit unconventional for Nintendo. Feels very much like a waste of time until <laughs> suddenly it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And if you remember uh, when we talked about Link's Awakening, it also started out right in secret. This kind of secret underground Nintendo development club. Just joking. Unless. That just becomes this weird game that that actually comes to market and it, it is pretty amazing. But in the case of WarioWare, when they did show it to management, management approved it really without any problem. And so that's the genesis of this of this series. And as Gorabi notes, it's it's a series that's really defined by one core design philosophy, one core principle, which is just that they need to come up with, you know, 200 in this case games that would be simple and understandable to anybody no matter where they live in the world. Right. And putting together all of these games was a really collaborative process. Abe reminisces that it was really just a a post-it note process where Members of the team, whenever they had ideas, would just kind of write an idea on a post-it note and stick it to the director's desk. Fun. And over time, even people who knew about this project but weren't working directly on this project would still, you know, draft their own ideas, stick them on a post-it note, stick them on the director's (laughs) desk to be part of the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of ideas to call. And in an interview with Kotaku, Abe remembered the time that he saw a note, a post-it note that was written up by the director Mm -hmm. that had a picture of a finger, a picture of a nose. And the what word, else do you need to know? And the word pick. Right. And there's your game. It's done. <laughs> Ship it. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great idea. You see those elements, you know exactly what you have to do. Understandable to anybody in the world. No questions. And I mean, he talks about then, you know, once, once you decide, okay, that's a great idea. We got we to gotta refine it. We got to figure out what the difficulty is. You got to think about, you know, the thickness of the finger. Is it going to be the same size as the mm-hmm. nostril? Is it going to be smaller than the nostril? Mm-hmm. This is they decided, you know, let's start on the first difficulty where you have to stick the pinky into yep. the nostril. Then you can move up to the index finger. And then you got to do the two fingers into both nostrils. Very complex. It's a lot of thought goes into picking the nose <laughs> game. Well, I mean, having to select games for this sort of scalability, I imagine, also is like mm. a, a sort of challenge of itself. Because it's not that hard to come up with a million actions that are like, okay, sticking a finger up a nose. Hit A at the right time to stick the <laughs> finger up the nose. But, you, but also being able to think forward about, okay, how sensibly does this become one step harder, two steps harder? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we have a progression within this game? Because you're playing the same game multiple times mm-hmm. often. Yeah, and I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Where there's this scrappiness, but it's this refined scrappiness. Yeah. It's clearly thought through and and kind of perfected and, you know, iterated versions of these games that on their surface seem silly and mm-hmm. and stupid, but definitely had a lot of thought. And I'm sure there were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of games that were just not deemed suitable right. for, for precisely these reasons. But yeah, Sakamoto at first expected WarioWare to kind of, you know, it did well. And he thought, okay, this is probably a one hit wonder. Like but well enough. for yeah. yeah. And Sakamoto said, you know, this is probably one and done. How could we, how is this sustainable? Uh, but WarioWare eventually became a series that, wa- that was dedicated to showing off new hardware. Hmm. Uh, it was a popular series. And then anytime Nintendo would have a new piece of hardware that had some kind of gimmick, mm. WarioWare would be the series that would be used to show off that gimmick. It's actually surprising we haven't had one on Switch yet. And the game that kind of did that when the Switch came out was 1-2-Switch, if right. you remember. Right, yeah. Uh, but prior to that, it was usually the WarioWare games that that served that function. So there was, on the DS, WarioWare Touched, when you'd make use of the touchscreen. Hmm. 
on the Wii, WarioWare Smooth Moves, where you know they'd imagine different things you could do with the motion controls. Uh, Game of Wario on the Wii U, where you use the the Wii U controller with okay. the screen on it. And it, and it's kind of sad that we don't have one on the Switch yet. Yeah, um, I wonder why they gave that up in favor of just a sort of unbranded. Uh, yeah, and and the other thing is those games were those games are good. Um, I know I played Touched for sure. I think I might have played a bit of Smooth Moves. Uh, and th- they were still fun, but it is kind of sad that it's almost like WarioWare became the thing that the game was satirizing, where WarioWare really just became a promotional tool for new hardware. <laughs> it's just a tech demo. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in some cases, the tech demo limits the imagination because you're just thinking about, you know, what can you do with this tech um, instead of a-, a larger range of things you could do if you didn't have to only use the touchscreen, for right. example. It's almost like... um. The WarioWare that we played is almost a feels like having freedom from a design brief in some ways. Whereas, like mm-hmm. here, make us twenty mini games that show exactly how it, you know, yeah, how it feels to use these Wiimotes or whatever is like the opposite of that. Yeah. So let's take a quick break and come back and be some uh, WarioWare hipsters, where we can talk about WarioWare in its purest form. Absolutely. On the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> We've already talked about some of your first impressions of the game, but I I wonder if you can, like, what was your experience of playing the game? If you could kind of distill it into a few sentences, like, I'm really curious to know, like, what is it, especially after having played all of these really dense games recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it like coming to something that is really, I mean, we talked about this with Katamari going back to arcade like simplicity, and I think this game, even more so than that one, gets back to this idea of, you know, arcade-like simplicity. Right, very right. It's hard to say what I thought about this game, honestly. I think I enjoyed it. Um, certainly, time went by extremely fast when I was playing it. If you're looking for the fastest possible way to move ahead an hour or two in time, you could do worse <laughs> than than WarioWare. Um, but there's this weird thing that happens where it's like being in a trance. It's like being hypnotized. Like it happened to me so many times that I would be in the loop of doing the mini games, progressing, succeeding or failing or whatever, and then come out of it at the end with almost like no memory of what just happened. Like come out (laughs) of it and be like trying to remember one specific game that I had just played in these little micro games. And it just like slipping away because everything, it moves so quickly like even if you're hearing us say three to five seconds per game i think like it feels so fast it feels like the minimum possible unit of game time like warioware predates mobile gaming by quite a bit but also kind of predicts mobile gaming mm. and i think it's very similar to that kind of experience where it just washes over you it's and like you say it's it's very good as a pastime yeah because that and it was on the game boy advance like it was meant to be a mobile game it's like in the car yeah yeah uh, and I mean, I think part of to try to articulate the overall experience of playing this game, I think I have to talk quickly about some tonal stuff <laughs> because it really does feed into what it feels like to to play all these games. So 
it's, as we mentioned before, pretty strange tonally. It has sort of this like off kilter sense of humor. Um, and it, it does that much more successfully in some cases than others. Um, but in every case, you do have these really weird mixes of things coming together. So each of the characters that that Wario has recruited to make these games with him has their own little arc um, over the course of you playing their games. And they have their own little frame for how you encounter their mini games. Yeah, they have like a frame opening cutscene, And then once you complete whatever the prerequisite number of games yeah. is, you get their little closing cutscene. Yeah. And they have like a themed uh, system of counting how many times you fail because you only get four fails on your on your way to making their whatever their threshold number of games is. So one of those that works really well for me is uh, the dribble and spits one, which is a cat and dog who are driving you in a taxi. And the whole like sort of frame of the mini games is you in this taxi on a rainy night with rain you know, coming down the windshield and the radio's on and the counters for your losses are like uh, fuzzy animals hanging from the rearview mirror. And it's like so weirdly atmospheric and cool. Um, and then when you get to the end, their sort of success uh, cutscene is that you, they have driven you to the ocean and you emerge as a mermaid and jump into the <laughs> sea while they cheer you on. I don't understand this. I love this. This is fantastic. I feel loved. I feel supported. I got mood on the way. Like, just make a game that is this. Um yeah, it's it's very, very, very cool. And then sort of on the other end of the spectrum, one that I do not care for is Dr. Krigor, who's sort of like a goofy mad scientist, but in a very camp way. Um, and so he his whole frame is that he's doing this experiment in his lab and he drinks this mixture that he made and it gives him the runs and he has to get to his toilet. And the whole frame of it is is looking into the toilet and when you succeed you get flushes of the toilet and then at the end he just sort of emerges sheepishly and like goes off like this is like you're giving me nothing except staring into a toilet that is flushing <laughs> like this is not a satisfying thing um i don't know if this is the moment when they decided that wario was going to be like the potty humor guy um but like this is not the way this isn't this isn't the way i don't deserve this it's 2021 um, so, and those are sort of the two poles of where everything is set. There's like weirdly evocative with small details. And then there's just like staring into the abyss of a flushing toilet. Um, right. And I think that that can apply across to the mini games too, or the exactly. micro games as well. Right. And we, yeah. we'll get into that, uh, as we talk about them in more detail. Yeah. So this is the thing is like when you... You get into this loop, right? Because you're, you're, these mini games are coming at you just one after the next. And even if you hit your four fails in one character's games, you just like pretty much immediately reset back into that loop again. And so even, you know, the first time I was playing a character's games, I'm not sure there was one time when I succeeded all the way mm. through a character's games the first time. A lot of them, the first time you encounter a mini game sort of takes you a second to to catch up to what you were supposed to be doing. And typically, by the time you failed that mini game, your brain has connected <laughs> what you were supposed to do. But often it takes you two encounters to to succeed at them. Often these ones where you're where you're failing, you're just right back in, and it just it there's this sense of like 
infinite looping in mm-hmm. some of these games. There is and a so- little bit of a, in terms of the pace, a little bit of a reset after a certain number when you go into a boss mini game. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. are much more traditional mini games, meaning they'll take closer to a minute, mm-hmm. you know, 30 seconds to a minute rather than three to five seconds. Still with very simple mechanics mm-hmm. and usually something, a, a bit of a strangeness still around the the theming. Like they mm-hmm. still fit with the package, but yeah, they are, they are something noticeably different. But it's perfectly normal by the time you emerge from this like mini game haze to have like picked a nose, shot an apple off a guy's head, blown up a spaceship, cut a steak, um, caught a stick of uranium, played Dr. Mario, gone off a ski jump, typed a single letter (laughs) on a typewriter, and like 60 other things. And so I think like part of when I say that it is like being in a trance and then emerging from it with no idea what you just did, part of it I think is actually about this theming and about the fact that you have these like very disparate things that it's so interesting because in the instance of being in one of these micro games, right, you have to be so in it because you have so little time to respond. So you have this like intensity of focus on the part of the player in the 0.5 seconds your brain has to remember, oh, this is the ski jump one. I have to hit A when he's going off the jump. This is the thing I have to do and then execute it. And then immediately you have to completely let that go because the thing you have to do in the next game that's coming at you is different. And so there's, it's like an anti-cumulative effect. I don't know. It's it's so, so interesting. It's like meditation, but also the opposite of meditation where you're just moving from complete attachment from thing to thing to thing. And this like, I felt like my brain was being shuffled like a deck of cards. Like at the <laughs> end of it, it just, honestly, one time I got up from playing this game for like a good amount of time and I was like dizzy. Like my vision was like a little moving around. I don't know. It, it's like, it's very interesting. And also, I think, I don't know if it's just like the way my particular brain works or whatever, or if you had this experience too, but there's also something like compulsive about continuing to play these games, like the cycle of like, oh, I failed back in. Um, it's not that I wasn't enjoying it, but like I felt um, it was so easy to lay these back to back. I don't know. I felt like I was hooked into them mm-hmm. in a way that wasn't just about, oh, I'm enjoying this so much, but was actually like a compulsive like next again, like just more of this. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that's there. You've got your trajectory from, you know, the goal of arcade games, mm-hmm. which is, again, to to hook you with something with these short bursts of gameplay where you would die relatively quickly. So you'd have to feed more money into the machine. Right. You know, on one end, and then, you know, this is in the middle. And then on the other end, you have mobile gaming plus microtransactions. Sure. As the, <laughs> which is, you know, if you take the Wario character. He would love it. Yeah. Like that seems to be the logical extension <laughs> of where he would go with his. That's what he's doing ideas. now. It's kind of, it's kind of shockingly surprising that they haven't, Nintendo hasn't monetized this with actual yeah. mobile a, a mobile WarioWare that's about making people pay for more mini games or access to mini games or yeah. more more plays. This is like being locked in a dopamine factory that just like <laughs> hits you with a a hit like every three seconds, and you're just like, I have to stay here forever. Where could I go? <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's a super it's a super strange experience, um, and in a weird way, it kind of makes me I think it kind of does with action and specifically about like video like game action sort of what Katamari ends up doing with matter where you know at the end of our Katamari episode we were talking about how there's something 
weirdly like kind of comforting at the same time it's kind of macabre uh, about like trees and people and paper clips and buildings all just starting to feel like matter at a certain mm-hmm. point that you're rolling up and that being part of the pleasure and also part of like some of the complexity of the mm-hmm. game this is like that but with action like just <laughs> hitting a might launch your spaceship it might make you catch a ball you might have to move over to move a trample like there's just all game action just sort of becomes action in the abstract at a certain mm. point and so mm-hmm. i don't know in a, in, a, in a weird interesting way it it really reminded me of that approach but just about verbs instead of like nouns in games okay, basically so, yeah so this is what i want to talk about i mean in, in a slightly different way because i think from like a design philosophy standpoint this is the inversion of katamari mm-hmm. whereas katamari was about selecting one core verb and then pushing sorry to the lo- <laughs> to its kind of logical extreme you know experimenting and iterating on the the push verb yeah. and the roll verb this game instead is kind of taking literally this idea that video games are all at their core verbs mm-hmm. and experimenting with different verbs as many as they can think of right because the gameplay as you say is literally flashing a verb on the screen as a clue for what you're supposed to do yep and then asking you to 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 do that thing, right? So the challenge is kind of on two levels, as you've already mentioned. First, you have to figure it out figure out what it is you're going to do. So you're told your verb, you know what your control set is because it's the D-pad and A only. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so it's up to you in that short span of time to figure out what the rules are of this game. And then secondly, to actually execute. Yeah. Which are separate. Yeah. I actually, I hadn't thought about the step which you're absolutely right about, which is figure out what the rule set is. That is the thing that sometimes takes you one or two tries of being in a game is like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking one of the ones that took me the longest to figure out, there's one where um, a cat's falling asleep and it's just its eyes are closing and then bounce back open. And I think the verb was sleep. Yeah, I think and so too. it took me, I think it took me five or six tries of that game to figure out what it was asking me to do, mm-hmm. which the answer is hit A when its eyes are asleep so that it stays there. But Really, what a lot of the play of some of these is, is figuring out exactly, like, what are you asking here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and there's this balance between games where the challenge is really figuring out what it is you're supposed to do, games where the challenge is in in the execution, and Mm -hmm. then in some games, maybe the most successful ones, where it's a balance of both. Yeah. Because you, like, like the developers even said, you want these games to be pretty understandable, and some are much more obvious than others in, in terms of what you actually have to do, because there are so many games, because it's really, at its core, this game is really about thinking through what are all the different things you can do with a D-pad and an A button? Yeah. Right. And how can we make all these different interactions meaningful um, and distinct? What verbs can we possibly articulate? And how can the developers change the meaning of basically, right, four button presses, you know, mm-hmm. up, down, left, right, A. Right. And what can we do with that, with that, uh, with those limitations? And and something that I, I really love that this game does is that they often play with different meanings of the same verb. Sure. And and those are always really fun. Like there there are many games that use the verb shoot, mm-hmm. and you'll get shoot on the screen. But in some cases, it's kind of literal. You shoot a gun. In other cases, you're taking a picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and you're doing the same thing. You're pressing A at a certain, you know, something happens on the screen and you time your A button press with whatever's on the screen. 
But the experience of that game is so different depending on on the context. Yeah, there's also shooting a basketball one where your guy's jumping and you have to time when he's at the right point in his jump. Yeah. Right. So so to me, this game at its core, it's about verbs, but it's also about context. Yeah. Maybe the best way to get at this idea in more detail and to think about what really works and maybe what doesn't work with some of these games is to go through the different characters. Because as you mentioned, each, each of Mario's weird friends comes with their own thematic set of games. Yeah. That each ask you to do different things with the same core set. So I think while we go through those, we can maybe think about which of those games work best and why and which ones maybe uh, don't work so great. Sure. So you start out with Wario. Yeah. Wario's like trying to make his games at his little laptop and his (laughs) intro is like bouncing on a trampoline up into the sky and then diving down into his laptop, which is pretty fun. It's like, yeah, that's how games are made. (laughs) Um, But yeah, his are all really goofy and really, really, really simple. Like literally a pie piece spinning around a circle and you have to stop the wheel on Wario. Like that level of simplicity. And that's one that was in the uh, 64DD Polygon Studio game. A guy like on a little, like spinning around, you have to stop it on him. Yeah. It really just slapped Wario on there. It's, I really don't even have favorites in this because everything is so simple and this is what the game is going to be. Yeah. Wario's games are very much proof of concept. Yeah. Uh, he's well, not Wario the most... at the start. Right. He's not the most creative at the start. At the start. He learns a lot from his friends along the way because <laughs> Wario is also the last guy that yeah. you encounter. We'll come back to that. Okay. So after Wario, you, you're introduced to the first of his friends who's going to reappear a few times. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy T. So I think that Jimmy is actually Wario's deputy because Jimmy is the skill gate at multiple points mm-hmm. in this. So I think he's a, a, a power tier above the others. Okay. Um. So he he's kind of styled a bit to invoke like Jimi Hendrix at the start. But then when you get into his thing, he's in a disco. He has this big blue afro. Yeah. And his mustache is music notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that you're doing with him is uh, calling his cell phone and leaving messages on it. Like each mini game you succeed at is a message left. I don't know the connection between cell phones and leaving messages and being in a disco. That's fine. Um, so all of his games are sports themed and I actually don't really have a standout favorite for this, but I do have some that I have objections to. Oh, great. Off to a great start. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple that I'm like, mm. um, one of which is, uh, one where the verb is bounce and what you see on the screen is a guy falling from the sky, like a little stick figure. And there's a, a block of a trampoline at the bottom. Now, my objection to this is that because the guy is moving and the verb is bounce, every time I started this for a long time, I kept assuming that I was controlling the little man who's going to bounce off this trampoline and then go to the side. Um, And so I kept trying to make him bounce a second time or land right or whatever. I didn't understand. I kept losing. No, you play as the trampoline thing that has to move and be under him. This is... Very confusing. That's not the moving piece. Like, that makes no sense. The verb does not communicate which you're, person. You're bouncing the guy. I guess. Is, but the guy is bouncing. So this is something I, I have. A, I actually want to talk about in a bit more detail. Because there are some of these where it's unclear not only what you have to do, but what element on the screen you is are. You, yeah. Like, what <laughs> what is doing the verb. Yeah. And, like, conceptually, I find that really interesting as an idea. Like, you having to figure out what 
yeah what, what is, are you yeah, yeah what are you and like what are the different ways like who is doing the verb and in two seconds right like in an instant of time yeah and so the, the so the question is do you think that's fair within the context of a game like this like i think conceptually it's an interesting idea but when it's a game where you fail if you don't figure it out in in like two seconds i mean i think i think the thing that makes it tricky is that because it goes so fast like i kept failing this game without having any idea what I had even really done wrong. Like I and because you're on to the next thing instantly also, there's not really a second to like process always. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, maybe I maybe I'm this other thing. So it's it's a little hard to get on top of some of these. It's just like a fun way to think about direct versus indirect objects. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. Um It's like a good you should teach grammar. That's that's you can use <laughs> these verbs to teach grammar. Yeah, there you go. Um Tricks of the English language where bounces both of, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to be too upset about this. It lasts for three seconds, you know, like, but it could be the result of the result of that could be that you have to start all over. It was probably at some <laughs> point because I did that wrong, like probably four or five times. Okay. It, it makes sense that you don't love the sports guy. Yeah. Checks out. Are there any others that you have objections to of, uh, of Jimmy T's first round? Uh, I find the snowboard around the snowball one unreasonably hard. <laughs> it kind of is. It's just very difficult. Yeah. So you're just a snowboarder and you just have to, you're kind of moving from the top of the screen to the bottom, but you have to maneuver around a huge snowball. And also you have to get to the finish line in time. Right. It's not just about getting around that. So I object to any of these games that are too technically difficult because I don't think that should be the point mm. of these. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, I don't know about that one. But Otherwise, you know, these are these are all right. Okay, so after you beat Jimmy, then the game kind of opens up because now you have a choice of three. You have the dribble and spits you've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. You have access to Mona and you have access to Nine Volt. Okay, Mona is my favorite in this mm. whole game. She becomes kind of a, a beloved character. In subsequent games, she has different jobs. Good. Um, there's one where she has a pizza stand and there's this Mona's pizza song that is really catchy. I think it's actually in Smash. <laughs> Oh, really? If you want to listen to the Mona's Pizza theme song. Yeah. In this one, she works at a gelato place and she's late for work and she's riding her Vespa and the cops come after her and she has all these little animal pets that come out of her Vespa and throw banana peels at the cops to throw them off her tail. It absolutely rules. And in the end, if you succeed, she gets to work to her like job with her boss. Um I like this a lot. Also, Mona's games are all really like super mundane, yeah, she's real the, life. She's things. one of my favorites too. Yeah, I think her her topic is strange. Yeah, which is interesting because they're all like real life mundane yeah. things, like brushing your teeth. Sort of tasks are under strange in this category. Um, so I think Mona also has maybe my favorite tiny game of the entire oh. WarioWare game, which is this is so hard to describe. Uh, it's a lady who's got a snot booger hanging and you have to mash A to like sniff it back up. But what makes this, why is there so much going on in this game? There's like this melancholy piano melody <laughs> in the background and she's like against this moonlit bridge and, she's and like river. An, an anime Yeah, who's like, woman. looks like she's been crying. Like she, it looks like 
it adds up to this thing where I'm like, I know everything about what's going on here. This is a lady who like dramatically has just like suffered heartbreak or something and is like out in the moonlight, like feeling her feelings and emoting. But the action is sniffing this booger back up into her nose. I love this. This to me is as good as WarioWare gets. <laughs> Somehow this little bite is evocative of like a whole other game that exists in someone's head somewhere. But it still has this very concrete slightly gross kind of funny thing that you're doing so when you saw that for the first time did you know what to do i think i just i mean as soon as you you try all this stuff for the first time and right sniff yeah and then it it does make it clear like you can see her nose responds to like sniff it up so i think i i think i figured it out the first time yeah so it also does have that immediacy like it just works on every level i think this is great yeah, I mean, there it, it, it's strange, but there is something rhythmically maybe consistent about mashing A and sniffing up a booger. Yeah, and then at the end when she gets it all the way up, she goes and then smiles and there's like a little ding in her eye like, I'm going to be okay. It's a whole story. It's a complete story. You took me through the entire <laughs> scene just by sniffing up this one booger. It's really good. Okay, so Mona's a big success. Mona is fantastic. Nine volts. Man, this is weird. So, so he's so nine volt. Just to give you some context, is when this game came out, kind of everybody's immediate favorite because of what his games are. Sure, they're literally just old Nintendo games. His games are classic, like, little snippets of old Nintendo games. Like one of his games is literally just the opening of the original Mario game, where you just have to bounce on a Goomba. <laughs> you just have to hop on one Goomba. Yeah, and so again, to give you some some context, when this came out. We didn't have access to all of these old Nintendo games. It wasn't Nintendo wasn't making them available um, yet. It actually kind of started with the GBA when they'd start releasing some of the old NES classics. Hmm. Yeah. And like even in the original Animal Crossing, they actually had full version NES games that you could dig up. That was like a huge thing. Like oh, it, was a, it was actually a big deal to revisit some of these games. So to see snippets of these games in WarioWare was really exciting. And maybe I think some of that... Some of that excitement and that novelty might not be there today. Yeah, I didn't have that context at all. Yeah. These things are so ready at hand. I mean, I've I've never played Ice Climbers, which there's like a snippet of it. You mm -hmm. know, there's still some stuff that I, um, you know, picked up on for the first time. Um, my favorite of his games, for a weird reason. So the Zelda one is based around like the original Zelda. You literally just move link and have him walk into a door for to go into a dungeon it says enter yeah the verb is enter the reason that i like this is because immediately in my mind i picture i picture wario being a hater of the other nintendo franchises and i picture this being how <laughs> wario describes what zelda games are to other people <laughs> like that he taught when he talks about zelda games he talks about it like this is all they are you just walk around and you go into a dungeon. And so that is funny to me. That's a joke that I made up in my head about this character. But that is why this is the most memorable thing for me. Um, it is. It's also kind of when you see when you see the verb enter, and then you see Zelda overworld. It, it kind of takes a while to figure out what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, again, like when you think of what are you doing in these games, it's usually, you know, hitting something with your sword. Yeah. But it's not just go up and go into this dungeon or into this cave. Well, and there's there's not even any enemies on the lowest level of this. It's literally just you on an open yeah. plane with like a, a door to a dungeon. Um, on higher levels, there's, I think, one little enemy or something in your way. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's just fun because that evokes something about the the meta of what exists <laughs> in the fictional Nintendo universe that tickles me. 
Yeah, it's. I think of the classic Nintendo games, it's the verb that's at, that has the greatest disconnect between what you'd expect from that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like there's F Zero where you're just dodging cars, which makes sense. Yeah, right. Mario where you're bouncing on something. Right. There's, there's Doctor Mario. Yeah, there's the end of Metroid where you're shooting Mother Brain, just mashing. Yeah, and yeah. you're mashing your your missile button, and that, but yeah, then you get to Legend of Zelda and just enter. Yeah. <laughs> so we've already talked about Gerbil and Spitz. And then once you complete all three of those characters, you go up against Jimmy again, who makes you go through a remix of all of the games you've played so far. Mm-hmm. Then you unlock three new characters. You have uh, Dr. Crygor, who you've already mentioned, who's disgusting. Nasty. You have Cat, uh, and you have Orbulon. Yeah. Anything stand out from, from these characters? So Cat is like a samurai fighter and she has some cute games, but really I think Orbulon is the most interesting of of this yeah. tier. Yeah. Cat has nature games mm-hmm. and she's later she has her sister Anna because she's a katana. Oh, oh my god, I'm yeah. dumb. So Cat and Anna appear together in future games. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, her games are her games are fun. She has the shoot that's take a picture of like a flying squirrel. I love of- that one, yeah. I also like the March of the Penguins one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Orbulon to me is really interesting because it's something very different. He's giving you kind of puzzle games, mm-hmm. uh, mind benders, kind of, uh, as much as you can bend your mind in three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's like a very different type of game. Yeah. Where he'll have you do things like, I mean, as simple as, you know, there's frogs jumping on the screen. You just have to count how many there are and keep keep yeah. track of that. Um, but some of them are kind of more puzzle based games. Yeah, my favorite of these is the one where you're a little round guy and there's like a puzzle shape on the floor and a puzzle shape in the ceiling and the ceiling's going to fall and you have to find where you can stand so that you don't get crushed. Mm-hmm. Partially because at the end of it, your your little round body is exactly the shape of the <laughs> of the gap that was left and your guy just like does this little like calm smile. Like I, <laughs> it's very satisfying to land that one. I really appreciate when these games give you a tiny little half second of flourish at the end when you succeed in them like to to note your success beyond just like moving you along so so you've been talking about all these games that you like are there any of these games that show up that you that you don't like so much or you think kind of don't jive with the form of the of the warioware there's one that i profoundly object to oh okay it's one where you are a, a car and you have to dodge other cars but the colors of them are like this medium green, medium pink, and medium yellow. And like, I'm not colorblind, but I can't see shit in this game. Oh, yeah. And you just have to not run into the other cars, but it's very hard because you can't really tell what's background and what's a car. Yes. It is so hard to parse quickly. It takes me the full length of the game just to find the pink car on the screen that I am supposed to be. Like, it's just super low contrast. It's actually like, I'm pretty sure an accessibility nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I'm not being cute when I say if you're colorblind, I don't know how you would be able to play this. Like it's just, it's a, it's a very ugly visual interface. It's very hard to use, and there's nothing creative about this to me. It's just like dodge the cars, which there's other games in WarioWare that also are that same basic thing. Um, there's just nothing to like here. And a lot to not like. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So in terms of where you're going through these characters, you fight Jimmy again the third time. Mm-hmm. And then if you do that, you get the uh, 
honor of going up against now master de- designer Wario. Who has learned a thing or two <laughs> along the way from his friends. He's learned that he's a star. Yeah. I love my favorite thing about his games is like he's in basically all of them. They're basically all about Wario, <laughs> which is very good. Like there's one called Grow Wario Grow, where basically you're in the opening to uh, Super Mario Land and you have to steal a mushroom from Mario. Mm-hmm. Like, don't let it get to him. And then, like, Wario gets big and is like, not <laughs> yeah. like the game. <laughs> There's one that's just like him eating a chili dog. You mm-hmm. just have to chomp two halves of the chili dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the ones where he subverts old games that you've already played. I bet you're about to bring up the exact thing I was about to bring up. Eye drops? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know who it belongs to, but there's an older version of a game where um, there's at the top of the screen just a bottle of eye drops that's moving from left to right, and you have to time it so that the eye drop falls into the eye of this man who's laying down Mm -hmm. on the bottom of the screen. Yeah, in in Wario's, I think it even presents you with the same verb prompt, and it looks identical. But when you hit it, instead of the drop coming from the eyedrop bottle, the guy's eye shoots a laser and obliterates the eyedrop bottle. This doesn't sound like it would be funny, but it genuinely is very... Because you're so focused of like, okay, I know this game. I know what I'm doing. Get over the thing. Mm -hmm. Hit When it just like the reversal there is like very surprising and very like genuinely funny. Good job, Wario. Yeah. Well done. You also get to see him in his little onesie bathing suit. Yeah. Is that one of your favorites? That's one of my favorites, just because, again, it's it's unexpected. He goes by so fast, too. It's like you have to drop him on like a life preserver, like a floaty thing in the water. Which is also like a hot dog shape. Yeah, it's like a, light, uh, it's a hot dog shape, like floaty. And he just zooms by so fast in so the air. Fast. And you have to just drop him and he's in a in a nice little bathing like suit. Like old timey onesie yeah. bathing suit. Yeah, it's it's very endearing. So after you've played all these games, if you could kind of distill what makes, you know, a good successful WarioWare game and what makes a bad WarioWare game? Do you have kind of a theory in mind? Yeah, kind of. So I think like we need an element of surprise. Um, and I think there's basically three kinds of surprises. There's um, there's oh, strange. You really thought this through. Yes. There's surprise from strangeness, from mundaneness, or from familiarity. Like that familiarity is the like, oh, I'm literally just playing the first screen of Mario right now. Um, I think the best ones are immediately legible you know, even if you fail the first time, like by the time you have finished failing that first when your brain has caught up and knows what this is now. And I think the very, very best ones have a little bit of charm or humor in both the success and fail states, like give you some reaction mm. in the in the micro game to what you've done. And I think all of my favorites have pretty much all of those those elements together. Um and yeah, I think I think that's when that's when these are really strong and sort of the the inversion when we have an illegibility that persists for more than one or two tries. I think when we have some of them that are kind of flat um, or that feel like they don't respond to you, those are the moments when the game's just not that exciting. Yeah, and I mean you're gonna get some duds out of two hundred games. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We haven't even talked about paper planes. There's this. You are the master of paper planes. There's this mini game. So it's a micro game where you just have to. It's just like an endless runner. Yep. There's a lot of like endless runner type games in here that again mm-hmm. like almost predict the explosion of endless runner. So that's an, on on mobile. That's another thing. But yeah, there's this paper plane game, which is like an endless runner. You're just like moving a paper plane down Back and like and avoiding some obstacles, obstacles. Yeah. As it goes from the top of the screen to the bottom, um, and you can unlock like a, an endless version of that. Mm-hmm. 
I must have played that game with my brother and cousins, like competing against each other for hours and hours and hours. When I when we unlocked that, you picked it up cold and got to like 150. Like I think I could do dodges. better than that before. Oh my god, we 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 got really good at paper planes. It, it's like so mindless, but so much fun, especially when you're competing <laughs> and you, you can get some pretty heated competitions going. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so that's WarioWare. Let's take a, a little break and we'll come back and we'll do some wrap up uh, with some bigger picture thoughts about, about WarioWare Inc. back to give our final thoughts on WarioWare, but I think before we do, it's worth bringing up another game, one that you were more familiar with, mm-hmm. that I think uh, we were both thinking about a lot when we were revisiting WarioWare. Yeah, especially when playing Mona's levels, mm-hmm. I thought so much of Anaanthropy's Dysphoria. This was actually, I think, one of the first really small like art games that I ever played, and it's really stuck with me a lot over the years. Yes, yeah, so you'd want to set this up. This is a game from 2012. Sure. Yeah. So uh, it's a mini game based flash game about Anna Anthropy's experience starting hormone replacement therapy. And it's divided into four sections that are kind of like the function of characters in in WarioWare. Um, It goes gender bullshit, medical bullshit, hormone bullshit, and then it gets better question mark is the last one. And so each one of these has a bunch of these little like micro games in it that sort of tell this story. Yeah, and when you're playing this game, I think you can see pretty clearly that there is a direct WarioWare inspiration and mm-hmm. lineage. But nonetheless, this game, I think in in the long kind of history of games, this game will be more historically significant than WarioWare <laughs> for what it is. But I think it, it's it's up there as one of I think a real one of the most kind of really important games to come out, say, of the last twenty years. Yeah. It's it's really funny how much it shares structurally with WarioWare while basically using that same frame to like the polar opposite end. Mm-hmm. Um, like instead of it being this like uh, hypnotic kind of chaotic loop of like odds and ends ephemera that like leaves me at least sort of like overstimulated and hopped up and, and forgetful. It's it's games are really carefully curated and really carefully sequenced and designed to build on each other and and be important and meaningful in their own right and to to tell a chronological story. Um, yeah. Imagine if somebody said, okay, take the bare bones of WarioWare, but turn it into a narrative about transitioning. Right. It sounds impossible. Right. But it, that's what this game is. Yeah. It's, it's kind of incredible, including things, and it even borrows stuff like um, repeating stages with slight differences. Uh, which in WarioWare is just about escalating difficulty, but here is about tracking changes like over physical or emotional or relationship changes over time. Um, and it it even like has a bit of aesthetic similarity or like it, despite being obviously about like a pretty serious subject matter, there is sort of a, a like sense of humor element mm-hmm. and, and a interest in mundane reality that I think 
is like not that different in lots of moments from from WarioWare. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking partially one of the one of the games that is like one of the most memorable ones for me is one where she's talking about her nipples being super sensitive and you have to like navigate an abstracted pair of boobs around all these little spiky like landmines um, and then coming back to that later or there's like a recurring game where um, it's about sort of backlash she's getting from from people and, and from turfs at one point where what the caption one of them is uh, these dumb bitches keep calling me a man and it's like all these abstract mouths like spraying shit at the left side of the screen and you're just this shield trying to block and deflect it like I don't know it just it takes it takes like a little bit of the sort of irreverence I guess um, and applies it I think really effectively to this subject matter which I think also is what helps it not just feel like a PSA trying to teach you about transness. No, this is autobiography. Yeah, 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 this yeah. This is not, yeah, this is not... It's not sterile, it's not like... This is this is autobiography that's trying to communicate something about her lived experience and her personal experience mm-hmm. through a narrative, but but through a game. And it's one of those games that's is like such a reminder that, oh, you can, you can do anything with games if you yeah. really are creative enough. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things I love about not just this game, but a lot of Anna Anthropy's games is how gamey they are. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there are a lot of games, especially recently, you know, that deal with complex subject matter that are very serious. And I would still call them games, but they they don't borrow so heavily from what you think traditionally as, you know, gamey uh, as, as games. Right. Um, but Anna Anthropy's games are so much in conversation with like 8-bit games. Yeah. And and like really simplistic, almost arcadey mechanics that, again, ones that on the surface you think there's no way you could figure out a way to contextualize these mechanics in such a way as to communicate something, you know, about a, about a topic that's kind of so complicated to talk about. And yet she can do it yeah. uh, in a way that makes perfect sense and has sense of humor. It's it's remarkable that this exists. Yeah, it's it's incredibly special like i've played it so many times and even still i still find it surprising yeah um and it's actually incredible how much effect she's able to get out of some of out of this format like one of the ones that i also always think about is the one where um you're in a medical waiting room this is the this is my favorite one. okay okay do you want to set up what it is yeah and so up until this point i think this is in the this is in the second act of the four medical bullshit yeah and so up until this point, you've been playing the WarioWare style games at this pace where each, you know, mini game or each scene, you know, lasts like about five Three, seconds. Yeah. Um, and again, you don't actually have to win. Some of these games are unwinnable. Like that's the other kind of twist on this that um, that she implements is that right? part of this is that actually in some of these you're going to fail the first time. And that's the point. But anyway, you're, you get used to this pace of these three to five second games and then you get put into the scene where she's yeah gone to the hospital and is and is just put into a waiting room, and you just have to wait. Yeah, and it feels like an eternity. Yeah, it's probably not. It's probably under ten seconds that you're waiting there. Yeah, it just feels so long, and like to communicate like because it's in the context of this fast paced game, like she communicates that like the anxiety of waiting. Absolutely, absolutely, I've, like better than anything I've ever experienced in terms of like a game like to communicate that feeling especially the feeling there's something specific about you know dealing with health health stuff also where 
it's that feeling where you're so desperate to be able to do something to address the thing that is wrong that has has brought you there that I think like really is reflected in like the urgency and frantic scrambling that you do when you're first mm-hmm. on the screen in any of these to figure out like, okay, what am I controlling? What am I doing? What do you need from me? What can I do? Um, and just to to have nothing like, and I think the tension between like the mode that this format has put you in, which is like, as soon as a new game hits, like start pushing things, figure out what you're doing. Um, and then having this wall uh, really, yeah, it captures something very specific uh, about, um, I think, medical crisis and, you know, a bureaucracy. Like it's, it's something so much, it's, it's such, such a clever application of this format. I just love it. Yeah. Like I love WarioWare and what it does, but... But, you know, as great as that game is, if, you know, its legacy is that it helped inspire Dysphoria, I think that should be what it's most known for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I wonder, you know, thinking about um, about this having started out as being the pet project of, you know, these developers who are working at Nintendo, which is a, a big company that demands a lot in terms of sort of polish and perfection, that WarioWare made me think so much about... Um, what what game developers who work for a company like Nintendo think of themselves as doing and how they think about their own art or their own craft. Um, And, you know, one of the things I've been asking myself about this game is like, is this fundamentally like, (laughs) is WarioWare a criticism of like capitalist investment and exploitation of games? Is it about um, trying to succeed and thrive even within that system and still do something creative and distinctive like i mean yeah i mean like game if you just think about the narrative is like game about a guy who hires all his friends and exploits them and then doesn't want to pay them at the end is uh too real yeah yeah um and and i guess one way to think about it is that this is you know as we sort of started to explore at the beginning of of this conversation this is nintendo appropriating the like sort of um, a- aesthetic and resources of someone like Anna Anthropy. I mean, not that, you know, that the sequence is backwards there, but sort of trying to invoke being like the Rolling Stones trying to make an indie record, you know? I don't know. I think it's kind of I, like, I think this, this sets the template for those people, you know, like WarioWare walks so Anna Anthropy can fly, <laughs> which you literally do in that game. You you fly a little bit. Yeah, I mean, well, this is kind of what I was getting at. Is I'm I I think like this feels sort of like the the people who work at Nintendo mm-hmm. um, finding a space to still be in um, a sort of more unruly creative community with other mm-hmm. games that aren't all going to be about mm-hmm. having the the immaculate controls and all the precision and all the re- the specific kind of refinement that goes into Nintendo's flagship games. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is just a really interesting product for me. And yeah, Dysphoria is so good. Yeah, like I think at the end of the day, at least in terms of what these games are as games, they're both industrial critiques, uh, but it's more implicit than like what the narrative of, of WarioWare is. Like I think the critique here is really calling out the homogenization of the games industry, mm-hmm. right? Like so many developers even still have become settled on a core set of verbs, a core set of mechanics that can only mean a specific thing, right? Like can, they can only ever imagine them with, within very traditional contexts. And both of these games 
are really a challenge thing. You really don't have to do that. Games can be so much more if you if you push them and let them be. Yeah. I mean, another thing that is interesting in that light is that in the uh, the news broadcast that Wario's watching at the start that sets all this off, the games that are making money are presented as toys. They're like mm-hmm. at a store that is labeled toys. Um, and I sort of like thinking about WarioWare as like, what about games as the opposite of art? Or like games that have a have a refinement that is not about great meaning, that is about producing fun and is about producing interest and surprise and all that sort of stuff, which is very against this um, sort of self-serious, we're going to tell a, a timeless moving story that also sometimes in like the later era gets locked up with, okay, this is going to be an exploring, you know, action shooter thing, you know, like Mm -hmm. the the kind of game that every game is Mm -hmm. at a certain point. This feels also like letting games be toys Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that I think is, is productive and is like um, defensive or, or protective of the value of that, of Mm -hmm. that being a worthwhile thing at the same time that like, Sure, maybe it's lucrative. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any final thoughts about WarioWare? Yeah. Um, I'm confused as to whether Wario is canonically a good game developer or not. Because at the beginning, it seems to set up that he's not, and that's why he needs his friends. But then at the end, he's produced like pretty good games. So I'm just curious about where that leaves us in the canon. And also... Some of the games that are in here are literal excerpts of Nintendo games, especially like in nine volts games, as we've talked about. But others are weird repurposing of Nintendo iconography for like very bizarre effects. Like there's a game where you have like a big beefy abstraction of Mario standing across from a big beefy, like off brand looking Bowser and doing jumps and dodges that are like not the ones that you do in early Mario games, but are kind of like those. What's up with that? Good questions. We're not going to answer them here. (laughs) Those are your final thoughts. (laughs) Okay. I think that's about going to do it for us today. No, you still have to announce your game for next week because you still don't know what it is. Oh yeah, true. And I don't know if you know it exists. This is one of those uh, Sonic Chronicles Dark Brotherhood style. Turned out super well last time. <laughs> really excited. Uh, but yeah, I think we should reveal it now just in case people are able to play along, even though in this case, I think it's going to be even maybe more difficult than usual. Okay. So so I think in the grand scheme of all the games we have played and maybe will play, this might be the most inconsequential of all of them, Okay. <laughs> at least on the surface. I think it has some historical significance for some reasons that we can talk about later. But as a game itself, you might wonder, you know, why are we doing this? We're doing it for a, for a number of reasons. One, I again, I don't know if you know it exists and it ties into something that you are very fond of. Okay. And the other reason, so we've talked about all these games that provide pretty simplified mechanics, pretty accessible. Mm-hmm. But the one thing we haven't talked about is the strategy that some companies use when they when they want to, you know, simplify games, make them more accessible, which is providing alternate ways of playing a game, providing peripherals. <gasps> peripherals. And I know you always love weird peripherals. I uh, yeah. So we're going to do a weird peripheral game. Oh my god. And so so this was actually kind of hard because when I'm reflecting on peripherals, they Often aren't great. Yeah, sure. Um, or the ones that are, like, I think the most successful peripherals 
are, you know, ones that I don't think would be that excited to talk about. For example, you know, like a, a fishing rod that goes with like a bass fishing game. Sure. To make it feel like you're fishing. Like, I don't think that would be the so exciting. gun. It's like, yeah. Yeah, we, right. Yeah. You have kind of the history of light guns. And then there's like the exercise equipment. Sure. Ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's some really bizarre ones like the power glove that just kind of don't work. Right. And I don't think would be that interesting to talk about. And then, you know, then the kind that are maybe the most successful are ones that go with music or rhythm games. Mm. So your Guitar Hero Plastic right. Guitars, your Samba de Amigo Maracas. Your DJ Hero Turntables. And in those cases, right, the peripherals meant to help you feel like you're actually playing the instrument. And I know you haven't actually played a lot of, or you, maybe you did play Guitar Hero Rock Band back like in the day. Like a little, yeah. And that might be something worth experimenting uh, with in the future. But I didn't want to do that for now. I wanted to do something a little bit more out of the box. Okay. Uh, so speaking of boxes. Yeah, you've presented me with like a the ending of seven style <laughs> box here, which is great for my anxiety. So please, let's move this along. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I would like you to open the box. What's in the box? <gasps> Are these Donkey Kong bongos? I got you the Donkey Kong bongos. Holy now, shit. Now, I know. So did, did you know about these? No. So these came out for the GameCube. And... They were associated with a game called Donkey Konga, which was a rhythm game where you played the bongos. Sure. Which in that case kind of contradicts what I just said. So we're not actually going to be... Maybe we'll play a little bit of Donkey Konga. But the real reason I want you to play the bongos, these DK bongos, is so you can play Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Uh, 2D Donkey Kong platformer that you play what? with the bongos. Is this okay? So, can I tell you what I'm picturing for this right now in terms yes. of the mechanic? Um, remember uh, the Ocarina of Time boss, um, King. Are you talking about Bongo Bongo? I'm talking about Bongo the, Bongo. Is the, it like that where you have to like? The, I think that's what he's called. You, the Spirit Temple one that yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought was stupid and you really liked. Do you bounce Donkey Kong like a trampoline by playing the bongos to make him jump? I'm not going to tell you anything. You're oh my god! Find out. This is ludicrous. I'm highly, highly excited about this. So let's let's wrap up and get you uh, playing the bongos. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I'm just so excited about this game. Um, as always, you can find more details and show notes at neverwasagamer.com. You can follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening to this. We appreciate that so much. Yeah, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time when we talk about Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, because paying a lot of money to buy a piece of plastic so you can play just that one game <laughs> is an essential part of being a gamer. 